Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for your big book study. My name is Russ M. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, August 12, 2022. Um, today we're reading from the big book, and we're on page 21, the second paragraph, and we're reading through eight sentences. Here is this fellow, and ending with dangerously antisocial. Today's readers are the Steps, Sandra L., Traditions, Darlene H., Reader of the Taxes, Anne Marie M., page 164 is Tenzin P., Newcomer Readers, Loretta M., and Second Hour Host is Janice P. M. The reference numbers for yesterday, Thursday, August 11, 2022, 7 a.m. Eastern meeting, 19,284. That's 19284. The 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. 19,285, so 19,285. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from, from compulsive overeating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. In a vision for you big book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and a practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of overeaters anonymous. So I've asked Sandra L. to read the 12 steps. All right, Sandra, start one. Good morning. This is Sandra from Sandra L. from Georgia. I'm a compulsive overeater. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for his knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Thanks for letting me do service. Thanks, Andrew. Next up is Darlene H. with the 12 Traditions. 
Hey, good morning. This is Darlene H. Recovered in Georgia, and here are the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks, Darlene. How our meeting works. Our meeting meeting focuses on the directions of for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing. And that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and, six, and readers is six months. There's no abstinence requirement for sharing on top. This meeting does request that sharing be linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book and there's a solution, page 21, the second paragraph, and we're going to read eight sentences. That's starting with, here's a fellow who has been puzzling you. Ending with, he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. And I asked Anne-Marie M to get us started. Thank you, Russ. Good morning. This is Anne-Marie M., Recovered through God's grace and by following the 12 steps. I'm in South Carolina. Here is a fellow who has been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. He is a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He is seldom mildly intoxicated. He is always more or less insanely drunk. His disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. 
he may be one of the finest fellows in the world. Yet, let him drink for a day, and he frequently becomes disgustingly and evenly and even dangerously antisocial. Well, yeah, I can identify with all of this, even though it does talk about alcoholism and how the effects of alcohol uh, affect someone. Uh, compulsive overeating affects me basically in the same way. You know, people look at me, you know, here's a fellow who has been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. And people would wonder, like, why I would gain weight. They'd say, Amory, you, you eat salads all the time. You know, how are you gaining weight? And, you know, it, it was it was puzzling because there were times when I would be, like, perfect on my, quote, diet, unquote, and would not even touch a crumb of, of anything, uh, you know, pastries or, or anything like that. And then there were other times where, you know, I was I was just out of control with the food. And very, very rarely would I eat, compulsively overeat in front of others. Um, and did I do absurd, incredibly tragic things while drinking? I don't know if they were tragic. I know one time I was driving and I went through, a red, well, I uh, the light was yellow and then it turned red and I, I was stopping and pausing and stopping and pausing, you know, within these, these few seconds and then drove through the red light. And I got stopped by the, a, a police officer um, and was pulled over, and I think she thought I was, it was a female police officer, and she thought I was drinking, but, um, you know, I, I was in the food. I had a, a bag of stuff, you know, on the seat next to me, and just focused on that, and couldn't couldn't make a decision <laughs> whether to go through the yellow light or, or stop, so... Um, that that was one of the one one of the many things that I would do. A real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I'm pretty social and and love being with people. Yet when I was compulsively eating, I didn't want to be around anyone. I wanted to stay in bed with the covers over my head and and wishing that, you know, the day passed. I didn't want to get out of bed, and I don't want to ever go back to that. Um, I'm mildly intoxicated. I'm either completely compulsively overeating or I'm not. Once I pick up one of my what I call trigger foods, something that's going to set off the allergy in me, then I can't stop. And it's like I go into hiding and find whatever it is that I can find, eat all of my husband's food. Before he finds out, I sneak out, go out, try to get the same exact thing that he that I had eaten and replace it. Just absurd, yeah, absurd behavior. And never was I ever thinking of anyone else. I didn't have time to think of anyone else. I was just thinking about when am I going to get my next fix? How am I going to get this food without someone noticing it, especially at work? Uh, you know, Sorry. and trying, oh, thank you so much. Um, but I don't ever want to go back to that. Thank you, Russ. That's it. Thanks, Anne-Marie. So we're going to open up the line for sharing. And, you know, although we value ex your experience, we ask that you limit your share to every third day so others uh, could share their experience, too. So if you share it on Wednesday or Thursday, please step back, and now someone else to get a shot. Who would like to share on this uh, There's a Solution, page 21? 
Linda D. Linda. Melissa C. This is Larry K. Christina J. Larry. Did you get me, Janice Pam? All right, we're going to put Janice in there. Okay. And I I think. Maureen L. One second, hold on. So I got Linda, Melissa, Larry, Jane, uh, Janice. There was someone in there that I missed. Probably about six people. It was Christina J. There you go. See, I knew it. I knew it. It was Tenzin. <laughs> Adrian <laughs> Adrian and Tenzin. Tenzin. All right. So we got Linda D. Wants to see Larry K. Janice B. N. Christina J. Adrian N. And Tenzin P. I think that's a pretty good list. All right, Linda, you're up. Good morning, everyone. It's Linda D. from Connecticut. Um, I'm recovered, not cured. That's for sure. Uh, I never had a life before uh, Overeaters Anonymous. Of course, I had a life, but I didn't know I had a disease. And uh, visions didn't exist until I believe I'm right, about uh, 10 years ago. Visions with the the witnessing of people who actually knew what to do and when, do it quickly and all that, which I had never seen before, saved my life. And I have uh, eight and a half years of abstinence. I've never been a hospital patient before. The local hospital was very good. And uh, I've never been in a rehab, except to visit other people as a caregiver. And uh, I'm in one, not because I relapsed, but because I didn't know how to use a cell phone properly. It sounds unlikely, but for an older person like me, it's a real possibility. My friends in the program of Visions, or Overeaters Anonymous, super healthy, 7 o'clock, advised me, a very close friend, get help. My generation only knows to give help. So I put myself accidentally in a high-risk category, ended up uh, having to stay in the local hospital great care. They understood the food thing because I explained it. And then I had to go to rehab across the street. And uh, they screwed it up. In one week, I was in a life-threatening situation. Rather than go into that, it related to the food. But I kept doing what I've been taught here. Asking God, asking God, asking God, what do you want me to do? And that has saved my life. My neighbor, who is a nurse, is uh, organizing with me and another person uh, actually in this rehab, who is a nurse supervisor, how to get the hell out of here as quickly as possible. 
it is not safe at night because it is un- understaffed and overpatiented. So I ask you, please, to pray for Linda D. in Connecticut. This program, as it's uh, presented on Vision, Sorry. is is life saving. God knows what to do, but you have to have nerves of steel and support. Thank you. I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. All right. Next up is Melissa C. Fire by Larry K. Hey, good morning, Ross. Thanks so much for your service this morning. My name is Melissa C. Good morning. C. Good morning. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in New York. And, um, yep, prayers for Linda, absolutely. Um, this is a fellowship. We're here for one another. So, you know, I read this paragraph and um, and I think for myself what's puzzling is um, how quickly I become disgustingly and dangerously antisocial and how that is so very different from the way that I see other people experience food when they're when they're eating you know i i was seldom mildly indulging seldom mildly um dieting i never did anything um in mild and moderate ways every every theme i took on i was like all in 100 percent, you know and and regardless of whether i was putting all my human attempt at trying to not eat or whether I was in the food, both of which would lead me in periods where I was disgustingly and dangerously antisocial. And and yet, like, for me, one of the lies that my disease tells me is that my abstinence is antisocial. You know, that needing to bring your own food places is like, mm, shameful and antisocial and puts people ill at ease. And, um, you know, and, and this disease, because it exists in my brain and it's a lie that I tell myself that I'm quick to believe because I create the lie, you know, it tells me things like food is social and nostalgic, that that it's a vehicle for community, that it's, you know, connection. And it's that's really true for normal people. I see people I love, they connect over the table, you know, they sample desserts together. They snack around the TV together. My own family, they plan the cakes, you know, around birthdays and, and they have fun doing it. And that is not my experience with food. It, as soon as I start eating in, you know, in alcoholic ways, alcoholic foods, eating spontaneously in unplanned ways, I could care less about the people around me. And it, becomes painful, dangerous, and um, and disgusting when I look at it. It really is disgusting behavior. And and there is a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because I put on a fake face in front of others. And inside, the only thing I'm focused on is more. You know, it crowds out everything else. And, um, you know, I'm grateful that I don't live that way today, that I don't believe the lie of um, my abstinence is antisocial. My abstinence is not antisocial. It's so that I can actually be in community with the people that I love. And um, thanks with that, I'll pass. 
Thanks, Melissa. Next up is Larry Kay, followed by Janice PM. Hey, Russ, good morning. Good Larry morning, K recovered. Brother. Good morning. You know, I'm kind of, um, well, I'm nerdy in a lot of ways, <laughs> but one of the ways is with books. And um, so if you've ever read Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, um, and it's, a, it's in its original um, version, it's unlike, you know, sort of the Hollywood movie uh, version, you know, where in the movie, Dr. Jekyll was this sort of kind, altruistic scientist. But in the book, he was very self-obsessed. He was a judgmental guy. He didn't fit in very well. He couldn't get along with anybody. He was kind of a, a loner, kind of a recluse. Um, and he stayed in his laboratory and he was a scientist. And, and he couldn't even really connect with the woman that he was engaged to marry um, as well in the book. And, um, you know, then, then he finds this elixir, right? He, he, he creates this potion and he drinks it. And for the first time in his life, he feels normal. He can come out and play. He can engage in the world. And, but he does some horrible, tragic things while he's Mr. Hyde, right? Just like some of us did when we were drunk on food. I know I did. And then there's a point in the story where after all the damage he's done and all the shame he's brought onto his family, he says something that I, I, I really thought was amazing, um, even in the face of all that. He said, I still like myself better as Mr. Hyde than I ever liked myself as Dr. Jekyll, you know? See, that was my reality. Because in the face of all the shame and remorse and the guilt that I experienced through my eating, I still liked myself better when I was food drunk than I ever liked myself when I was sober. And that was my big secret. And in the book, here's how it ends, right? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Jekyll eventually, he, he runs out of the potion. You know, there, there's no more bakery goods. Can you imagine? And, and now he's trapped in his hide form. And you know what he does? It's too painful to live life without being able to transform himself into this alter ego and this, you know, this comfortable space. And so he commits suicide. That's what he does. And today, thankfully, the recovery process, having a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, provides us with an alternative, you know. It's a spiritual awakening. It provides an option for a peaceful life and sobriety. That's where this is different than the Jekyll and Hyde book. And I'm grateful for this program. Thanks, Russ. I'll pass with that. Thanks, Laura. I appreciate it. Before Janice jumps up on here, for those who have uh, jumped on the meeting a little late, we're in their solution, page 21, the second paragraph. Here is a fellow reading through eight sentences down to dangerously antisocial. Janice. You're up. Yes, thank you, Russ. Can you hear me? Perfect. Okay. Uh, I am Janice P.M., and I'm a recovered, recovered compulsive overeater from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm just outside. Yeah, I always go after Larry, and he already took my information, but that's okay. I'm going to continue because <laughs> it's so interesting. Yeah, um, first of all, the book tells us here, the paragraph before talks about the real alcoholic, the real compulsive overeater. Then the next paragraph, you know, tells us, it tells me that 
they're describing me now, the real compulsive overeater, and this is the alcoholic. Now, Robert Louis Stevenson was the author of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He was a Scottish novelist. And, you know, when I first read this many years ago, I said, oh, I used to hear about that. You're a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but I couldn't equate how it, happened, how it related to me as a, a compulsive overeater. And, of course, now I'm just, I've done a little research, and it talks about, you know, this author, perhaps he's talking about himself because he had this illness of alcoholism, mental illness, mental illness. I didn't have any of that. Of course I did. A double self. And I think all human nature has a double self. I have a good and I have an evil. This is just a human nature. And uh, he was self-indulging all the time. That was me. Did he care for anyone but himself? No, that was me. You know, and so it's all about the behaviors here. When I was compulsive overeating, it describes me. Absolutely. Um, the Dr. Jekyll side represents the good, and the, I believe the Mr. Hyde represents the evil. But with me, a compulsive overeater, I could not differentiate the truth from the false. I was very unpredictable. Some nights I would come home, you know, some days I would, my husband would come home and, uh, you know, he didn't know if I, there was going to be a tornado or if I was sleeping from overeating. So, um, you know, that's how I reacted under, under the power of the disease. I had no control. So it, it, it tells you here, these are all the behaviors. You know, if you want to diagnose yourself, you can do it for the physical on page uh, 44. But here it tells us about how I acted, how my behaviors, you know. I was always insanely uh, uh, drunk from food because I was always eating. So naturally, you know, and then when it's supposed to be, okay. Well, with that, you know, I am going to pass. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, Janet. <laughs> All right. Next up is Christina J. Followed by Adrian N. And she's not from the state of Washington. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, you know it's really strange to say North Carolina, but um, I was born in Portland and I now live in North Carolina. Anyway, Christina J. State of Washington recovered for today by God's incredible grace, and today it's very much grace. This paragraph uh, speaks to me of complete disconnect from something bigger than myself. I'm insane in the food, and in my life I was insane in diets. I don't think I was ever connected to God in the way that I've been able to touch in in this program, doing the simple but not easy steps of this program. I did crazy, incredible things while drinking, eating, uh, and I was probably mildly intoxicated at times on uh, little bits of sugar and stuff, and then it led over time, got worse and worse, as we know. I think I could control it, but then it got worse and worse, and, you know, I'm talking everyone's story, you're talking my story. 
Um, I don't, I didn't know what my normal nature was. You know, my, my eating disease started when I was young and carried on up and through, uh, my early sixties. I'm 63 now. And in program, I have discovered who I am. And, uh, I must tell you that this trip, this journey to move to North Carolina and all the challenges have brought me to a place of, I'm just going through the motions right now and it hurts because I've lost my connection to God. My prayers are very rote. I just say them. I try to close my eyes and meditate. Nothing happens. And it scares me, because this is my connection. This is what I must hold on to, or I won't make it. Um, I can go anywhere around food. I can be around any type of food when I've got my connection to God and my, my strong program, and I'm working my program. But this trip has upset every part of me this huge change everything has changed everything has changed we're still not in a home of ours of our own we're still living in boxes but you know i'm not complaining it's just what it is but the thing is is i'm going to keep trying my second husband told me in his morning prayers honey i know you don't feel these some mornings but do them anyway because they'll eventually change your life and i know that i'll eventually get back to that sweet beautiful connection in my heart but right now, I don't feel like I know myself because I'm, I don't feel connected to the mighty, mysterious, magical uh, being that created me. And I'm not antisocial right now, but I feel disconnected. And it's not from eating. It's from these emotional buildups. <clears throat> and I'm working on them. Sometimes they're very, very heavy. So, um, yeah, I'm here talking and I'm sharing, and I'm doing the work, and I'm going to go through the steps again just because I need to right now. I don't want to fall back into the hole with food. I don't want to because, you know, junk food is not an option for me, but I could easily go back to overeating my abstinent foods in a heartbeat. And uh, I don't want to go there because it will eventually lead to the crap. Thank you for letting me share. Love everyone, and I pass. Thanks, Christina. Next up is Adrian N. followed by Tenzin P. Good morning. This is Adrian N. from Port St. Lucie, Florida. Can I be heard? Perfectly. Thank you. So um, I, I also recently moved, and I'm in a temporary house, and it is a very unsettling. But um, my share is... is um, that when I eat, I become somebody totally different. Um, it kicks up my mental illness. Uh, I become depressed. I become antisocial. And sometimes, and more often than I care to even admit, I become suicidal. And it might not be all the weight that came on. It's what the food does to me chemically in my head and the fear that I'm going back up again in weight and the pain and the suffering that I went through in the times before when I had gained weight and uh, the pain, you know, and and the slowness of losing the weight. And, you know, I, I don't want to go there. And then I become... Like, I don't want to live if I have to go through this again, 
you know, because this is worse than anything, you know. And I don't know. It, it just is I am definitely not a normal person when I ingest substances that are my alcoholic. So I wouldn't even call them food because they're not food if they're my alcohol, you know. Okay, with that I pass. All right, Adrian, thank you very much. Next up is Tens and P, and then we're going to take another list. Thank you very much. Good morning, Russ and everyone. Uh, yes, uh, what a powerful, actually, eight sentences, but I read the whole paragraph before the meeting this morning, and uh, it, I felt like it was just pounding me into the ground, remembering you know, all the things it's talked about that I've done, which I'll uh, mention a few of. But really, uh, so, you know, so I don't know if this is the longest paragraph in the whole book, but it's it's longer than a whole page. And, um, and we've just been reading very short paragraphs recently. So the difference is uh, really powerful uh, to me. It was really painful to read. And uh, so this, this whole um, uh, paragraph seems to me to be a lot about the unmanageability. Up until now, uh, we've been talking about uh, not being able to stop. But this is really so much about the unmanageability, like absurd, incredible things. Well, I walk in bad neighborhoods in the middle of the night. Um, going out for more food. Uh, as the person who uh, opened us up said, I, I also, I, I drove while eating in ways that were really dangerous. And um, and it, it, I appreciate what people have been saying about being Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but I would say on another level that, you know, because uh, this, this uh, whole paragraph is leading uh, me to be thinking about all the uh, character defects and the afflictions that are underneath uh, the symptoms of compulsive eating that that are what I work on, uh, you know, with with the help of God and other people as I work through the steps. So this is all what's underneath that shows up also when I'm in the food. Um, you know, it's it's more it may be more extreme. Uh, but it's still it's still there. That's what I get to work on, yippee, the rest of my life, all all uh, of working through the steps and the uh, all the character defects. So insane, more or less insanely drunk. I remember um, uh, at one point going to a wedding uh, when I and I was at that a friend's wedding, and I was in a very thin part of my um, phase. And I binged on the wedding cake to the point that I would have a really bad stomach ache and have to go to bed when I got home. And I remember also, you know, in, in a bulimic phase, not being able to go to school the next morning because of how bad I felt. Um, thank you very much. So I will just uh, say I'm so grateful for you all, so grateful to be here, and I pass. Thanks, Tenzin. 
appreciate it. Now we're going to take another list, but let me let you know where we're at. We're in There's a Solution, page 21. Second paragraph. paragraph. Second paragraph. And we're going to be reading eight sentences. So it starts with, here's a fellow ending with dangerously antisocial. Who would like to share on that? And if you shared the past couple of days, please step back so I'll just get a chance to share their experience. Who's up? All right, there's someone that was... Wendy V. from California. Sorry. Okay, okay, I got Wendy V. Maureen L. Uh, Maureen. Sandra L. Sandra. Shanna C. Shanna. Melinda. 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 Robin T. So, we got Wendy, Maureen, Sandra, Shanna, Melinda, Joanne, and Robin T. Wendy V, you're up. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Wendy V from California. I absolutely relate to this paragraph. Um, Every line, every word. And I heard people um, sharing, and I You know, I absolutely changed when food went into my body, and I could not control the amount, and it absolutely, it was like I was possessed when I was uh, going to obtain the food, and then once the food would actually hit my system, I literally reacted to it like it was alcohol. Um, I would become giddy and friendly and happy and goofy and I would actually lose my inhibitions for a while and then as the night went on it was like um, poison I would turn my whole personality would change and I would literally I saw a pattern in myself of course I didn't want to point to the food where I did become antisocial I could get violent and um there's something that would come over me where my um, my my mood, my personality, it's like the whole world. I would see the world as the glass half empty, never half full. It would just like put this negative dark cloud over the entire world. I wasn't good. You weren't good. The sun isn't shining. And that depression would kick in. And then I had to go and try to seek help. Um, you know, so it talks about um, going to different facilities. I would put myself in a facility and try to get help there. I would see a psychiatrist. I would see a doctor. Um, I would appear at a sanitarium. Um, and these are all the things I did. And if in the middle of all this I ever gained any control, maybe through exercise for a short period of time, I would build up 
you know, my family with these ideas of what I was going to do. And then right before, you know, maybe three days in, I would go and take a bite and boom, here we would go again. And pretty soon all these aptitudes and gifts that I might have had, they don't even live anymore. I don't even know what they are because my eating has taken over every area of my life as it's progressed to the point where I don't have a promising career. I don't have any special abilities that I can speak of. All my skills and aptitudes, although I'm resourceful because I still can manage to get food, the rest goes out the window. And I, and I really, really relate to this entire paragraph. That's all, thank you. Wendy, where are you from, what state? just in case somebody wants to get in touch with you. Okay. <laughs> Next up is Maureen L. Uh, followed by Sandro. Hi, this is Maureen L. from Massachusetts. And uh, for me, the first step requires kind of a, a fundamental reality that there's a duplicity in my life. And while unlike Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde's story, I've never gone out and committed murder and wreaked havoc on my community, I did wreak havoc in my, in my home life in a, in a quiet, withdrawn way. So I'm a mother of four, and I have a very successful career, and I've never been morbidly obese, but I have been kind of fit and fat. And so from the outside, you would think, or I was presenting to myself, myself to the world as someone who kind of has it together. But internally at night or during the day, I was just chasing the next hit and it was never enough. And then when I would get home, I would just seek to take out the stress of the day through food and I would eat as much as I possibly could. And then at the end of the day, I would be withdrawn from my family, not wanting to talk to another human being not wanting to engage with my husband, certainly, not wanting to parent my children. I just wanted to escape the realities of my life, which had its share of challenges, and withdraw to the food. So while I never had violent outbursts necessarily, I was living an absolute double life. And it was so tortured in that it was outside, uh, certainly, of what God and my higher power wanted for me and the best way that I could live my life in service to others. So I don't know how that's all connected with food. I don't know how when I eat certain hits of certain substances, it affects my brain this way. I don't know why I can't stop. I don't know why I'm obsessed with certain food products. And once I start, I cannot ever even have hope of controlling those. I just know that it is. So if I know that it is, I don't need to fight it anymore. I could just accept that reality and find another path. So it's out of path. Thank you, Maureen. Next up to Sandra L. Good morning. I'm Sandra L. from Georgia, compulsive overeater. I am fairly new to the program. Um, I have not gotten completely through the steps, but I am working the steps. Um, I've been absent now for three months plus, almost four months, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I relate to this this portion of this paragraph so well um when i was in the food nonstop, i was 
I'm a different person when I'm in the food like that. Um, my only thought is, when am I going to eat again? What am I going to eat again? Um, whatever's keeping me from the food right now is getting on my nerves. I'm restless. I'm irritable. I'm discontent. I'm I'm evil, um, manipulative. I I'm not present for the people who I love and that love me or for anybody else for that matter. I have no patience. Um, so since I've put the food down and working the steps, I am a different person. I'm, um, I'm present for everybody and I'm present for myself. I'm able to work the steps um, because I don't constantly think of food. So I'm so grateful um, and I'm glad to be on this path. I'm glad to be working the steps. I hope to get through them sooner rather than later. Um, And I thank you all for being here for me. Thanks and y'all have a good day. Thank you, Sandra. So uh, before Shannon jumps on, we're on There's a Solution, page 21, the second paragraph. Here's a fellow down to even dangerously antisocial. All right, Shannon, you're up. Good morning. This is Shannon C. from Tennessee. Uh, thanks for everyone who shared and, and for those who are making this meeting happen. And I'm so grateful that you guys were here for me when I had reached the end of my rope. Um, first of all, um, <laughs> I got to laugh a little bit because years ago, that was actually my nickname, um, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Hyde. My husband actually nicknamed me that because whether I was eating or whether I was not eating or whatever, I was just, you never knew what, who you were going to get um, at any given moment, and it became a running joke. Uh, and um, But one thing I will say, and I'm not great at um, articulating uh, what God has done in my life other than just flat out saying it was absolutely... no human power relieved me of my compulsion to eat. Um, I had been in the steps for a while. I had prayed for years. I had worked the steps in OA with a recovered sponsor. I had done all of the stuff. You know, I I was doing the sponsorship requirements. I was reading the big book. I was doing all of the things. And that obsession came back. And the only thing that I know that has been different now is I, it was not, it was not my doing. I had literally reached the absolute end of my rope and begged God for help as I understood him in that moment, because I knew I was going to die and I felt it to the core of my being. I knew I was going to either die of this and live a life of complete suffering unless God took the problem away. And it's just my, my experience. And i remember falling on my knees one morning and begging God for help. And I had, I'd gone through all of the things that I had done of my own human power and whatever humans could give me. And I was like, I can't, I don't know what else to do. I know this big book inside and out. I've worked these steps. I've prayed. I've tried it all. Food plan, no food plan, easy sponsor, a heavy hitting sponsor, whatever, you name it. And 
a voice told me, said, get on a vision for you and listen. And I called that uh, Sunday morning. I called and I don't know, the, the lady telling her story read my mail and I gave her a call and she helped me. And I believe at that point that obsession was lifted and I was given a soft place to land to where that obsession could stay away. The only thing I can say is um, it's an absolute miracle for my life. And until I saw just how powerless I was over it, um, God's power couldn't get in there. And, um, but I'm so grateful you guys were here for me during all the times that I had tried. And something in me kept me coming back. And something that enabled me to find that phone number that morning. So anyway, thank you so much for allowing me to share. I'm grateful to be abstinent a day at a time, one meal at a time, and it's not white-knuckled. It's a miracle. Thanks. Love you guys. Thank you, Shannon. Next up is Melinda. I just need your initial or your last name, first initial. Star one, Melinda. All right, we're going to jump to Joanne P. And see if one can jump on after that. Joanne P. Star one. Good morning, everyone. This is Joanne P. from Pennsylvania. A grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. I almost said alcoholic because I always thought Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was... um, a description of a um, an alcoholic addict that I lived with, and and boy, <laughs> when I when I my disease started to progress to the point where I was completely insanely drunk, I realized I was the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and um, yeah, I could be the finest fellow in the world. And and, um, as my disease progressed, I became disgustingly and dangerously antisocial, which was so unlike me. That isn't who I really really used to be or wanted to be. But, um, yeah, so that's so, so thankful for this program. And um, by the grace of God, you know, I was led to OA to realize that, yeah, I am a compulsive overeater and um, was just um, incredibly dishonest and selfish. And, yeah, working these steps and, um, yeah, working with a, a wonderful sponsor and wonderful fellows and listening to this program has just um, helped me to um, build up a, a bright outlook for my family and for myself. And uh, But not without the relationship with the higher power and complete surrender and oh, absolute happiness. And now even especially service to others, um, these 12 steps, has uh, given me a, a way of living and a, a design, a new way of life, I guess, is 
what I want to say, and I'm just so grateful and thankful to be here, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to share and to be present in this world. Um, yeah, with the joy and the escape from this disease, even though I know I wake up every day an addict, and I got to get down on my knees and start all over again and humbly ask God. Yeah, to, because we are powerless to just um, help, to help me and all of us. So with that, I pass. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Thanks, Joanne. So I'm going to ask you to see if Melinda is there. We have two minutes. Or three minutes, I'm sorry. Melinda. Yeah. So yes, Melinda is going to be our last share. Robin. Uh, T, I had you on the list uh, of the rest of my made of my time. So you have to jump on a second meeting if you can stick around. All right, Melinda, you're up. Okay. Can you hear me? Yep. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so powerlessness is certainly the name of the game today. I had emergency abdominal surgery on Wednesday and... Um, it literally, literally was because of my compulsive overeating. Um, I, of course, don't need to go into the details, but suffice it to say, if I was abstinent and working a program and on the on the beam, uh, I wouldn't have had this surgery. So, you know, Jekyll and Hyde definitely applies to me as well. Um, when I am eating, you know, I may think that I'm okay, but really I I would only be able to give myself about a C minus or a D in terms of letter grades. Um, recently, I really feel like I lost a part-time job because of my inability to get along with one of the main coworkers. And that's, that's what being in the food does to me. I have I have experience with other addictions as well and recovery and it's just it really is. I'm glad I heard the story about the you know the book of Jekyll and Hyde because that is me just all over the place. Um, I want to be able to eat and not have any consequences and that just it just that's not reality. It's just not going to happen. Um, so I'm in a powerless state. I am on the member list. I'm Melinda Time. H. as a force. Thank you. In Virginia. Thank you so much. Thanks, Melinda. You're our last year for today. And we'd like to thank everyone who shared. And uh, for, please join us for a second unrecorded hour uh, study immediately closing. Uh, this meeting. So the share ID for today, Friday, August 12, 2022, 7 a.m. Eastern Time, is 19,290. So 19209. We'll now close with reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And I ask Tenzin P to read our book is meant to be suggested only. Yes, here I, uh, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. 
Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you tread the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.